0: This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my interview with Danielle Dreilinger was recorded in May, 2021. We're going to be talking to uh, first time ever uh, with us, and we're pleased to have her here, Danielle Dreilinger. She was a New York, or excuse me, New Orleans Times educational reporter post Katrina, as well as a Knight Wallace Journalism Fellow. She's also written for the Boston Globe and worked at Boston NPR station WGBH. She lives in the fine confines of New Orleans, Louisiana, and we're talking about a relatively new work called The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. Danielle, uh, pleased to have you here. How are you, my friend?
1: I am great. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, uh, let's talk about this. We have never in, again, I got to go back and check, but near 900 shows, done a show specifically about home econ, and I know that this book is far more than that, but let's do this. Share with our Lewis at Large listeners, if you would, what was the path that led you to be a reporter in the first place, and then from reporting, what led you out uh, to pen this particular work?
1: Great. Yeah, well, I wanted to be a writer uh, from when I was a very little kid, and as I got older, what I realized was that I liked writing about real people and their stories. And to my, you know, to my great fortune, there's a job that lets you do that, and that's journalism. So I just dove in uh, to journalism, and I covered a bunch of different places and different areas, and then in 2012, uh, moved down to New Orleans to start covering education at the Times-Picayune, where I learned that education is a way that you can, it's a lens through which you can look at really any social issue you want to write about, because it's not just a question of the school board budget uh, or what kids are, you know, studying when they're, you know, seven years old, though, is certainly both those things, but it's also about jobs and who we want our adult citizens to be and you know it's a place that brings kids together from all walks of life and so on and so forth and so then a few years into that uh i was looking at writing a book and i thought about what i wanted to write about i thought about education and history and race gender and class and i also thought about my uh hobbies. I like to cook. I thought if you're gonna write a book, it should be something that you really enjoy. Uh and I put all this together and I thought, oh, home economics. Like whatever happened to that? Like that was like the, the class that taught girls how to cook. And of course I quickly learned that it was much more than that. But you know, just going in I was thinking, why are home shouldn't home ec be back by now? Like we're our country has gotten so obsessed with all sorts of homemaking pursuits we're talking about changing education to get away from tests we're talking about you know fears of adulting right and all sorts of issues that come together in the home you'd think that we would have heard more about home economics uh, and then when I started looking into the subject, the very first thing I learned was that one of the founders of home Act, was the first woman to attend MIT. So from there, you know, my mind was just blown. I Like, clearly, HOMAC, whatever it is, is so much more than I thought, like so much more than the class that taught girls how to cook if one of its founders was a scientist in the 1870s. I just took it from there.
0: Well, we have a lot of baby boomers uh, that listen to this show, and I know if we were to ask them, to tell me in a sentence what is home ec? It was the class where the girls would go to learn how to cook and sometimes sew, and the guy while the guys mm-hmm. were going to industrial arts or shop class, and uh, right. they were kind of split up that way. Uh, I am kind of curious, and uh, because we can, we'll dive in here to the book, but just. That was true uh, in the fifties and sixties, and maybe even crept in a little bit into the seventies. But at some point, at least in the public schools, uh, a is home is home economics still offered, uh, or did it ever for a while go away? Just as at some point, being deemed rightly or wrongly irrelevant or not not uh, whatever I'm well, practical anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, homework has never gone away. What did happen? Well, several things. Uh, it certainly became less prevalent because, starting in the early '80s, uh, there was a real push to focus education in the U.S. more strongly on academics and less on, you know, career preparation, life skills. Uh, but the other thing that happened is back in the early 90s, the field rebranded and came up with a new name because they had been fighting against these stereotypes uh, that usually call the stitching and stirring that stereotype for so many years. And I thought people think that HOMAC is dumb. They think it's just, you know, not important, that it's irrelevant. And they decided to change the name in the hopes that it would, their new name would bring more respect. And they, settled on family and consumer sciences, which sometimes is FCS or FACS, and be, they continue to have the class, but it's not called home economics, so people don't recognize it. So yeah, it might be called facts. it might be called life and careers, uh, it, it's called different things in different places. There's certainly a lot of classes still in Kansas. And, in fact, a woman named Gayla Randall uh, at the State Department of Ed is a real national leader in arguing for all of the ways that the class can be relevant today.
0: What about also along that same line, uh, is it a reasonable assumption that whatever it is called uh, is now that class is not necessarily all female. It might very well be 50-50. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, so it it still tends to be majority female because of just all of the cultural, you know, pressures and history of what girls do and what boys do. But it is in fact not legal to uh, separate boys and girls into shop and homec. And this was uh, brought about by Title IX, the law that you know brought us women's basketball. Uh, also said that you could not split up classes by gender. And when I interviewed a bunch of uh, middle school boys in Virginia who were taking a home economics class, and I said to them, you know, this used to be a class that was, you know, considered for girls only that girls took. What do you think of that? They all just thought that was completely ridiculous. They said, like these are just basic life skills that everybody needs to know.
0: So as you were doing the research here, what, um, what maybe I guess where sort of where do you start here? Do you go? Is this back into the American educational system? How much of this is cultural? How much is educational? How much of it is is and also subject matter? Who was dictating it? Was it school boards dictating it? Was it parents? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: All right, well, so on the subject, on the who is dictating the subject matter? That is a really interesting question um, because there. The, the home economics, so the early home economists. Uh, and this is a movement that really took fire in the uh, starting the eighteen nineties. They wrote curriculum for K twelve. They wrote curriculum for colleges, and uh, in fact, home economics was, and I'm sure some of your listeners will remember this, was for decades like the home, like the power center of women in higher ed in colleges and universities. And so they would they would write curriculum and there were, I mean, just innumerable people, almost all women, employed as curriculum developers, you know, in office state offices of education, in the federal edu- office of education. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when you got down to a local level and to, you know, various, especially when you Dealing with various populations of you know, kids of color, of Native American kids, for instance, sometimes you know they had to compromise at the K twelve level with the people who were in charge there, which was usually white men about what kids were going to be taught in home ec. Uh So you know it really ranges the gamut in terms of you know they had they were always looking for better ways to do things around the house. They were also looking for ways that these pursuits could become careers. Home economists were professionalizing the home and turning it into career paths for women. So you could go to college and study home economics, but what you were really studying was electrical engineering because you were going to be an equipment specialist. You could study business because you were going to go work for a food company Helping, you know, developing recipes, developing recipes with new ingredients, for instance, or doing customer service. Uh, you could become a teacher, of course. Uh, but yeah, there was the K 12 curriculum tended to be a bit more focused on stuff around the house. And then once you got into colleges, it became much more uh, about careers and jobs. And, and yeah, as you know, I mean, the US education system is a fractured, entity with, you know, nobody dictating anything from on high. So it looks different in different places.
0: So I'm a little bit intrigued with the subtitle of the book of How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power mm-hmm. of Home. Share with our listeners, if you would, a little bit. Uh, we probably don't give that concept enough credit. Take us inside that a little bit and put a little bit sharper point on the power of home and what, what that really brings to the table and maybe some things that might be a little bit off the obvious radar screen.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think when we talk about the power of home, I think that is an idea that resonates with everybody. Everybody wants a home. Everybody feels the need for a home, whatever that may whatever that may look like. And when I talk about harnessing the the power of home, it means a bunch of different things. Uh one is that There are core tasks that are performed in the home without which, like, our society would not be able to function. Somebody needs to bring up kids. Somebody needs to watch kids during the day. Somebody needs to be, you know, producing food for everybody to eat. And I think that the pandemic has really made that vivid, made that work vivid in a way that's very important Because it's easy to forget, well, depending on who you are, (laughs) it can be easy to forget uh, that these things need to be done. So when the pandemic began, there were all these employers who apparently felt that parents could continue working their full-time jobs from home while schools were closed and their kids were around as if taking care of children is not a job. So I think that one thing that home economists did was not only did they turn some of those home tasks into careers, such as childcare, house cleaning, hotel management was a home act career. They emphasized that society can't function without these, these tasks. And the other thing that home economists really highlight is that, you know, we like to think of the home as a refuge you know, this sort of Ozzy and Harriet vision of, like, hi, honey, I'm home, and the outside world just goes away. But that's not true, and it never has been. You know, the homes, the walls are, you know, are permeable. Like, the outside influences come into homes. They change how we do things. And what we do at home affects the larger society. So home economists have really taken this ecological view of the home as being, you know, a center of power that is not independent from the rest of society.
0: If you just joined us, yours truly Warner Lewis from the Flight Deck of Lewis at Large. Got a good one going here with uh, reporter Danielle Dreilinger uh, and a brand new work called The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harnessed the Power of Home and Changed the Way We Lived danielle uh what about also uh as we have been evolving over the last ten or twenty years? Let's just say how has the role of technology coupled with uh more and not more and more now women officially now a hundred percent back in the workforce uh and away from home two income families are are easily uh statistically the majority now. But did that change the role of home economics or the expectations maybe uh, of what should be expected not only from a class but from some of the outcomes?
1: Mm. so technology has been in our homes for ever. It's just you know a question of how we define technology and like what the latest technology is. so histories of housework, if you look at them. I mean, it used to be, I mean, the, the gas stove was a technological advance that changed families' lives. It, I mean, it used, to be that, it used to be that, you know, stoves were some, people spent enormous amounts of their time getting water into the house. They still do in some parts of the world. And, you know, feeding a stove and keeping it burning And so when home economics began, all of this housework was incredibly arduous and manual. There's so much about laundry and wash day because just doing your laundry was you know an agonizing day long chore. And in fact, home economists and so home economists from early on were looking for ways to harness technology and industry. To make the work of the home easier so that the people who did that work, which were women, uh, would have time to do other things, would have time to walk, take care of their kids, have a paid job, study, you know, anything. And so they, the early home economists, you read a lot about laundering as in sending your clothing out to a laundromat. And then which was manual, you know, it's not like they were putting it into a machine over there, and then how to make the working conditions better for the low-income, low-status women who were doing the work as launderers. And so that carries forward into the present day. What you have is, over the years, more and more innovations that make the work of the home faster and easier. Something like the Roomba, right? Like, it's a vacuum. You don't even, like... Cleaning your floor, not only do you not have to use your arms to sweep, you don't even have to be there. It vacuums itself. But I think what we also see that home economists have pointed out is that greater technology should make work easier, and it does, but it doesn't necessarily change the standards that we place on women to keep their homes a certain way, And it's been really remarkable, like the Department of Labor studies have shown, that women still spend, like, large amounts of time on housework, even with modern technology, even with also working paid jobs. And men are doing more of that work, fortunately, now, but it still hasn't balanced out. So I think it, you know, one of the things that we have to look at is, you know, what are our standards Around these things, what are our expectations? And uh, Ellen Swallow Richards, the first woman to go to MIT, one of the things that she said back in about nineteen, 19 early nineteen hundreds was like, "What are the essentials that we must have to make a house a home?" And I think about that a lot. You, know, what are, what do you need in your home to make it feel like a home and not just you know the place that you hang your hat. What are the things you need? What are the things that are important? And prioritizing them, and what do you not have to do?
0: What about uh, as you did? You did a lot of research for this, and and again, sort of this an interesting subject that that we are very familiar with, probably on a very surfacey level, what it was really all about. But you dug pretty deep here. As you sort of step away from this, what what to you? What was sort of again, sort of the big takeaway? What if is there such a thing as a single big, big thing that came forward out of all of this for you?
1: Yeah, well, probably not one single takeaway, but um, two takeaways. One is just you know we don't respect home economics enough. It is. So interwoven in so many parts of U.S. history. I mean, home economists were involved in saving people from starvation during the Depression. They developed space food. They kept people healthy during wars. Like I found so much information about so many ways that home economists have affected everybody's lives. They developed the food groups. And the recommended dietary allowances like that, you know, those labels on boxes that, you know, tell us how many calories they have. Uh, and the other is that, you know, going back to what, something we talked about earlier, as a society, we need to respect the work of the home in, like, a real way. Back in the 70s, home economists were involved with uh, more women getting divorced. And having to come up with ways to support themselves after having been, you know, homemakers, like work in the home is not compensated unless you're hiring somebody else to do it for you. And that's compensated badly. And I think it's really important for us as a society to respect the work and the people who do it, no matter what their gender and whether or not they're getting a salary for it.
0: You uh, you have written a lot about a wide variety of subjects and a wide variety of situations. As you as you look back on this, the research that you did and you survey the landscape today, are you comfortable uh, from whatever vantage point you want to take with what is being taught in general? Because I know each district is probably a little bit different, but just overall, does the home economics class of today is it still relevant? Uh, And if so, uh, or if not, why isn't it? And if not, anything in particular you would change?
1: Right. So I think a lot of home economics classes are really good. Um, They provide both life skills and career development. Kids really love them. Like, kids really love them. Uh, And I think where you see things go wrong is you have people who were not really trained to... Okay, so backing up for a second, as HOMEC lost its luster, as the stereotypes about it being out of date and sexist piled up, there became less and less support for HOMEC from governments, from universities. And so You have far fewer people studying to become home economics teachers. And what ends up happening is people slip into the class and start teaching it who weren't trained in the subject. And those people tend to go to what they think home ec is, which is all these stereotypes. So you'll see people, your home ec recipes, that are things like, how do you make cheese sticks from a can of biscuits and some string cheese? And, you know, with all respect to cheese sticks, like, I don't think that's a valuable use of time in a classroom. What you see classes teaching instead, that, you know, with teachers who have been trained is, you know, things like how to get a quick affordable dinner on the table. Like, that's a life skill everybody needs. Or how to become a chef, which is a career. Um, And, then I, and there are some home economics classes that I've seen that really uh, fulfill one of the great strengths of home, ec, which is that simultaneously macro and micro. Like you look at the world, you know, the world outside the home, you look at the world inside the home. And so I've seen people who teach like the lifestyle, the life cycle of a cotton t shirt, and they teach about, you know, eco, you know, the ecological damage and human damage of sweatshops. At the same time that they're teaching about how to sew a shirt, so I think that you know they there are there's a spectrum, a continuum of home ec classes, with the ones you know with like the cheese sticks really needing an upgrade, and then a bunch in the middle that are teaching like much more relevant and much more interesting, and then the very best bring in this larger perspective of society and global problems at the same time you're learning to do things for yourself.
0: Well, the work is called The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Changed the Way We Live by longtime reporter Danielle Dreilinger. Uh, Danielle, uh, how can people pick up a copy of this? And on top of that, uh, you are a prolific writer, uh, a lot in (laughs) your past. How can people find a little bit more about you as well?
1: Uh, so you can pick up a copy anywhere that books are sold. Can, you can know, order it for you if they don't already have it. Uh, you can also request copies at your library. Um, most libraries will let you do that online now without even having to go in. And for more about me, um, the best thing is to go to my website, thedailyreason.com, uh, which is my website because no one can spell Drylinger. <laughs> okay. But I'm on, I'm on Twitter and I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook as well.
0: All right, Danielle. Hey, thank you so much uh, for spending part of your day with us. Best of luck with this. And uh, we'd sure like to have you come back and visit again.
1: That would be great. I would really enjoy that.
0: Well, thanks for joining us for this installment of Lewis at Large. We add new conversations every week, and we like hearing from you. You can contact us via email at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. That's warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. And you can find out more at lewisatlarge.com or on the Lewis at Large Facebook page. And remember to subscribe to Lewis at Large. Check out Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Now go have a great day.